Hi, this is Mark Raven. This is a webinar that was originally presented in June 2014. It's titled Leadership Behaviors That Create a Culture of Continuous Improvement. If you'd like to find the rest of our webinar library, go to www.kinexus.com webinars. Hi, welcome to our webinar titled Leadership Behaviors That Create a Culture of Continuous Improvement. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedules to be with us today. I'm Mark Graben, VP of Innovation and Improvement for Kinexus. I'm author of the book Lean Hospitals and co-author of the book Healthcare Kaizen. And I'm Dr. Greg Jacobson, co-founder and chief product officer of Kinexus. I am actually founded Kinexus when I first started working as an ER doc, realized there was a huge uncaptured improvement potential sitting in the front lines and recognized that we could take technology to help bridge the gap from what we are doing to what we should be doing. Happy to be here. And so, you know, we've got Greg, a doctor, you've got myself, an engineer, we're sitting side by side uh, in his office in Austin, Texas. And again, thank you so much for taking time to be here with us today. So somebody who has been a huge influence to both Greg and myself is pictured here. He is Masaki Amai. He is uh, the founder of the Kaizen Institute. He's the author of, I, I think, you know, the seminal book um, on Kaizen called Kaizen that came out uh, just over 25 years ago. And Mr. Amai, as he introduced Kaizen to the Western world, really, you know, he defines it, you see Japanese characters here on his whiteboard, uh, as really just the, the simple sounding notion of everybody improving everywhere in the organization and doing so every day. And I think you know, we can also emphasize at this point that this is something that happens in every industry, whether it's uh, you know, originally in automotive manufacturing, other types of manufacturing, healthcare, startups, software companies, architecture firms. It's really amazing to see how these principles of Kaizen and more broadly continuous improvement is spreading. So this is something people have been talking about for the last 25 years. And what you see on this slide is really kind of going back to 1995 when I started my career. You know, coming right out of college, I worked at General Motors in a plant in Livonia, Michigan, and they had something called their Livonia Operating Philosophy. It was sort of a management system, if you will. And it was based on uh, W. Edwards Deming, and this had been developed you know, around 1990 or so. And you know, there, was, there was stuff hanging on the wall about this. And you know, it said, for example, you know, providing the opportunity for employee involvement development and productivity. That's core Kaizen thinking and lean and Toyota production system thinking. Involving employees, not just improving productivity and quality, but developing people in the process. The one way they tried to make that happen was through their suggestion program. And you see the way this is described again, it talks about employee participation. It talks about suggestions. And now you can see this kind of classic approach of of forms and suggestion boxes. And I know from my own experience there, unfortunately, uh, what was hanging on the wall, this would have been ironic and painful to Dr. Deming, you know, what was hanging on the wall was not uh, reflected in daily reality. It was really just a, a well-intended policy and, and some slogans about improvement, and it wasn't really happening. So even as an engineer, I filled out occasionally, you know, some suggestion box forms. And these were, you know, carbonless triplicate copy forms and I would fill it out very diligently and say, here's my idea and the benefits of the company. And uh, I remember I was in grad school. I had left and, you know, nine months after submitting a suggestion, I got something in the mail. It was basically the pink copy of the form saying your suggestion had been denied. 
and I thought, well, you know, I, I thought it was a really good suggestion. Nobody ever came and talked to me about it. You know, some committee um, just rejected it. And, you know, unfortunately that, that happens in manufacturing. Um, sometimes we see it in healthcare. You know, I was a patient uh, two years ago. I had to get an MRI done and I saw a big poster hanging in, in the lobby of this MRI center. It says our focus through continuous improvement and my eyes lit up and I thought, oh, how wonderful. Look at this. I'm, I'm happy to be getting my health care here. And um, I asked as I you know, filled out my registration form and went back to the front desk, the woman sitting there, oh, it's great that you do continuous improvement. And she's just really, you know, she gave me a blank stare. She didn't know really what that was about. So, Brett. Yeah, no, that's, Mark told me that story and it it, it led us to, to talk about the fact that, you know, I've worked in, you know, a dozen or so hospitals over the last 15 years. And, and that's what you see also in healthcare. People are they're talking the talk, if you will, but they're not necessarily walking the walk. You know, when people think about continuous improvement, oftentimes they're not doing one of the most important things, which is engaging the frontline staff and including them in the process. And so they do things like implement a old school suggestion box, like you described, where they think that, you know, that's going to engage and um, get people to be involved. But you'll notice the suggestion box, it's it's opaque, there's a lock on it. And, and we know that um, what really happens oftentimes with suggestion boxes where, where a, a, um, a person at a healthcare organization told me one time, you know, that's where good ideas go to die. And <clears throat> oftentimes when, when we implement old school suggestion box systems, um, this is what happens. So this is Bruce Hamilton from GBMP who says, you know, many companies assume the failure of the suggestion box approach is with employees that don't care. But if we dig a little deeper, we find it's in the system itself that squashed enthusiasm. And that's something I've noticed now being involved with dozens, if not hundreds of Kaizen and or continuous improvement implementations is that if done in the right style and the right way, um, employees are going to get engaged and they will participate. Yeah. And when we have barriers to a suggestion system or barriers uh, to continuous improvement, rather than blaming the individuals, we, we need to ask why. You know, this is good general lean thinking. When we have a problem, we need to understand the problem, understand root causes, and and we do so by asking why. You know, like like Greg, I've I've been at um, you know countless healthcare organizations. Lack of ideas from employees is rarely, if ever, the bottleneck in the improvement process. If we ask. Why is there not a culture of continuous improvement? Why is improvement not happening? If someone says, well, my employees don't have ideas, I find myself having to bite my tongue a little bit and then pushing back a little bit more gently and sort of asking questions and well, let's go and talk to people. And you find, you know, people, I think in, in all the industries I've worked in are very motivated. They want a better workplace. They want to do a better job for customers or for patients. They want to strengthen the organization that they're in. So you when know, Joe Schwartz and I, co-wrote our, our book, Healthcare Kaizen, from our own experience and, and from talking to others, you know, we did some surveys through my blog. I mean, it's not hard to come up with a laundry list of barriers to continuous improvement. Things like, well, all right, lack of time, or we, we forget to follow up, or there's lack of trust, or a fear of losing jobs. I mean, these are all, these are pretty serious and, and legitimate concerns. And I, I think one of the keys is that we need to make sure these barriers aren't just an excuse that we can hide behind. We'll say, well, okay, we wanted to continue some improvement. And people say, well, we don't have time. Oh, all right. Well, forget it. You don't have time. You know, these need to be barriers 
uh, that, that we can remove and, and, and get out of the way. And these are often some of the first problems that we need to solve through a Kaizen program. If we don't have time, how do we make time? Uh, if there's lack of trust in the organization, we, you know, we really need to build trust. We need to um, be leaders. If, if there's a fear of losing jobs, we can make a no layoffs due to Kaizen pledge, which I think, you know, the leading healthcare organizations do, and it is a very necessary and understandable practice. So really comes back uh, to, to leadership and, and leaders leading and taking action, getting involved, um, you know, changing the culture isn't just something we can wave a magic wand about. We, we need to take action, try to change behaviors, change our own behaviors and kind of, you know, hearkening back to the old Apple uh, ad campaign of, of think different. I think, you know, we need to sometimes we need to lead different and ask, you know, what are the behaviors or things that we were doing as leaders that got in the way of continuous improvement and, and be reflective and think about what we can do, even if this old ad slogan is kind of grammatically incorrect. Um, I think it's it's really the right mindset to figure out, well, what do we need to do? How do we create this culture? And, you know, while they're not a perfect organization and really nobody is, I think Toyota sets a great example. You know, Masaki and I studied Toyota and other manufacturing companies of looking at, well, what is this culture of continuous improvement? And as this is spread around the world, I see Jamie Benini uh, pictured here, you know, when he presents and teaches about Kaizen and Lean and the Toyota production system, he says, well, you know, the, really the big focus is on leadership and that leaders are not just trying to solve problems, but they're developing people. And that the best way or a great way to develop people is to encourage, create an environment where people, first off, are, are free to raise problems, to surface problems. We know a lot of organizations will kind of slap people on the wrist for bringing up problems. Don't make us look bad, uh, things like that. And then to help people solve problems. So it's not the leader having to find all the problems or all the waste themselves. And it's certainly not the leader having to do everything to solve the problems. It's about creating this environment. And a lot of this really just comes back to daily behaviors, habits, and, and sometimes new habits uh, to help put this in place. So let's just step back for one second before we really dive into the 25 behaviors that we've noticed that promote a culture of continuous improvement. <clears throat> and one of the things that, that we've learned over the last dozen or so years is if you're taking a look at organizations that, that do have cultures of continuous improvement, you're going you're gonna to find repetitively that there are really three pillars that, um, that they have. And and we put this at the top because we're talking about it, but but um, it's also just, I mean, it's one of the three pillars, effective leadership. And when we talk about effective leadership, we're not talking about you know, spending 100% of your time doing this. We're talking about doing it smart. And so we're going to talk about 25 behaviors that really aren't going to take any more time in a day, but by leading differently, you're going to promote behaviors from the people that you're leading. A systematic methodology. We talk a lot about, about Kaizen, but you know we see great organizations with cultures of continuous improvement that focus on Six Sigma or that focus you know just on specific areas like implementing A3s or PDSA or or Kappa systems. And we really don't feel that any one of these systems is um, you know never going to create a culture of continuous improvement. With any one of these systems, you can. 
you just need to pick a systematic methodology. Don't make it a flavor of the month. Stick with it. Do it in a disciplined approach. And, and you're going to see that um, your, your organization as a whole is going to start buying into that. And, and what we find today, especially with the way we're communicating in collaborative um, ways with the Internet, that enabling technologies. And, and of course, uh, you know, we at Kinexus here have uh, designed what we think is a perfect system really to help spread and connect and really break down silos, whether those silos are within one large site or whether it's within multiple sites, there are enabling technologies that make all this work easier to do. So we're gonna talk about 25 behaviors. I don't want anyone to take away from this that there are only 25 behaviors or these are the most important. These were some that, that we identify. And, and these behaviors aren't all that we need to think about with leadership. So what we've done is um, we've got a great blog series going on on our blog. And if you haven't checked out our blog, quick plug for the blog, check it out. It's at blog.kinexus.com. Um, we, we really got it kicking about two, three months ago and are putting out some great content there about all sorts of the pillars that I just mentioned. But specifically what we're talking about is a, um, is, is a blog series that Alan Wilson, our CEO, is, is putting a little bit more of the, the things that are a little softer, a little more abstract. So take a look. Um, on June 11th, he did Honesty, Integrity, and Respect. Um, you can sign up for these um, blogs over on the right side by simply putting your email in a notification frequency. Check it out. All right, so without further ado, Mark is going to kick it off. All right, so as Greg said, you know, 25 behaviors. Maybe we, we, we could have... Um, apply continuous improvement to this list and boil it down to just a handful of behaviors. But as we go through these 25, we hope you'll see how these are uh, connected and uh, important. And like Greg said, you know, overlaid on top of this foundation that uh, Alan Wilson, our CEO, has blogged about of things like trust and communication. Um, so the first behavior is for leaders really at all levels uh, to publicly state your belief in continuous improvement. You might assume that your employees assume you want them to improve. Um, but you really need to make you know, conscious public effort um, to, to let people know that they are an important part of the improvement and innovation puzzle. A lot of times people think like, oh, well, our leaders will come up with a handful of big strategic fixes for us. And you know, leaders and stand up, whether it's the CEO at an all hands meeting or department directors, really telling everyone, look, you know, continuous improvement is important. We want your ideas. We know you can play a major role in helping us fix the hundreds or thousands of, of problems and opportunities for improvement that we have in our, or, our organization. I mean, just you know, saying that, it might um, seem unnecessary, but it really makes a huge difference to, to make that public pronouncement in lots and lots of different ways and over and over again. You know, we, we need you to be a big part of this. The second behavior, I think, beyond just saying, look, you're, you're important. We want your ideas. We want you to identify problems. As leaders, again, at all levels, is to explain why improvement is important, tying it to the organization's goals and strategies. So there's a couple of elements with continuous improvement. One is we want everyone just to identify the things they see during the day that, that create problems. What bugs you? What gets in your way? But at the same time, we also want to try to help focus people to look at the things that are important to the organization. So this might be high-level pillars like safety and quality, access, uh, 
financial performance, or if we have particular focus, say, well, we, we really need to move the needle on patient safety in a hospital or in a manufacturing company. Maybe your, your customer satisfaction rankings or on-time delivery has fallen. Um, you, you can focus people and ask them, hey, in addition to all the things that bother you and that you run across, we specifically also want you to focus on this particular area because then what we're measuring in that department or measuring as an organization, hopefully then is being uh, affected by the, the Kaizen improvement. So it's important to count how many improvements, but we also wanna see the impact that it's having on what the organization is trying to accomplish. Behavior three, and this is something I learned from uh, Joe Schwartz's organization in Indianapolis, that they teach their leaders that if you want Kaizen happening in your organization, the best way to get that to happen is to first participate yourself. So not just say, hey, Kaizen is important and we want everyone to do this, but to, to lead by example. And I, I saw a great example of a nursing manager who was walking around and talking to staff. There was a new nurse and she asked, you know, hi, how are you doing? I hope you're doing well here. I know it's your second week. Have you found any Kaizen ideas to implement yet? And, and the nurse, I could see her body language. She kind of tensed up a little bit like, ah, no, ah, I can't think of anything. And what happened next is beautiful. The, the nurse manager first off said, well, that, you know, that's okay. But here, let me show you an example of what we mean. And she was basically always carrying around a Kaizen example with her. And the manager said to the nurse, well, you know, you know I've got these different keys that hand my badge and I was always grabbing the wrong key for my office door. You know, if it was 50-50 odds, I'd grab the wrong key 80% of the time. And one day I finally said, all right, well, I'm going to stop that. And she put a little 25 cent rubber ring around her office door key and it solved the problem. And um, you could see the nurse's body language. She kind of relaxed and she smiled and like, oh, well, OK, I, I can do something like that. You know, so it made Kaizen unintimidating. The leader set an example that, you know, this starts with me. I do Kaizen. I find problems. I can help fix things. And I thought that set a really great example um, for that nurse. So. It really kind of ties into behavior four of asking for opportunities for improvement. As that nurse manager was doing, she was asking very specifically in the workplace, have you identified any problems? Do you have any ideas? This really needs to be part of the ongoing discussion and dialogue um, in, a, in, a, in a department or in a team. You know, if we do daily huddles, part of that daily huddle time should be carved out to ask the team if they found any new problems. Do they have any new opportunities for improvement? You know, in, in different hallway discussions, managers need to ask people, hi, have you found any problems or opportunities for improvement? Really as an ongoing dialogue with employees. So once leadership has set the tone and said, we, we want your ideas, it's important. Here's why we need them. We'll lead by example and then keep asking people. And then I think another important behavior number five is don't require everything to be an event or a project. And we've seen this in, in multiple industries where Maybe people got started by doing week-long Kaizen events, or you might call them rapid improvement events or, or, or other names. It, sometimes a pattern get, gets established that says, well, the way we improve is by chartering a Kaizen event and scheduling it a couple of months out and forming a team and doing this big formal initiative. But what you see is that you know, not, not every problem or opportunity is really big enough to require a project. You know, the last manufacturing company I worked at, and this is going back about 10 years ago now, really had some problems because if we found anything we wanted to change, you know, it really it had to become a Kaizen event. 
And some of these Kaizen events, we'd get into day two of the event and realize, oh, that was really a pretty small problem. Why did we schedule a week's worth of people's time? And, you know, Kaizen events are really helpful and important, but I think we need to find a balance between small changes that are maybe more like your just do it, your daily Kaizen, your daily continuous improvement, and larger things that do require a week-long event or a project, or maybe the middle ground of requiring an A3 um, as a way of structuring that improvement. We, we need to focus on things both large and small. And with that, I'm going to hand things over uh, yeah, to, to Greg here. For that, a bit. that leads perfectly into Behavior 6 Mark. Um, so just to, to blow out the concept of, of looking for small ideas, there's several reasons why emphasizing and communicating to the organization as a whole and to your staff that you're leading specifically to look for small ideas. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of the Bill Murray movie, you know, mm -hmm. the small steps. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to baby implement steps, baby yeah. steps. Baby that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. It's so much easier to do something small to get that small win and to implement a low cost, low risk change that if it was the wrong thing to do is easily able to, to be undone than to try to kind of bite off more than you can chew. And so we're, we're not looking for, a, you know, this is not a fad diet, right? This is a lifestyle change. And the best way to do lifestyle changes, if we're gonna apply this to an organization, it would be the same way that you would do it um, as an individual. Just slowly start building in behaviors and the best way to build in those behaviors is to focus on, on small, tiny things. What I find amazing about Behavior 6, Mark, is that and we've seen this, now we have thousands and thousands of, of OIs in the system, and we've been studying this, is that oftentimes small observations and small changes end up having huge impact. So it's, you know, I don't have an exact number, but we, we often think about one in 25 to one in 50 OIs end up having this kind of unintended big impact that you would never imagine, and you would have never got from your staff had you just really been focusing on big things. Yeah, and, and one, one other point here, I think the reason that we start with small ideas, of, I think back to that nurse manager. If she walked around and asked every nurse, hey, I want you to come up with a million dollar cost savings idea. Mm -hmm. they, th those are few and far between. People freeze up. And um, you know, I think a lesson I learned, I saw this actually at a, a hospital in Japan. The CEO said, the best way to find big ideas is to find lots and lots of little ideas. Right that you stumble into the big ones. You can't really kind of go out and plan or set a goal to come up with the big ones. You, you engage people and get the get the ball rolling with the little ones. I yeah. think that's really key. All right, behavior number seven, don't just ask for more cost savings ideas. So really ask people to focus on things that matter to them. And, and here's the reason. What we find from a behavioral standpoint is if leadership says, hey, we need to save money, then oftentimes there's that just initial cringe from the staff. Oh, this is just another cost savings thing, you know? And it really to get people, because remember, we're trying to build a lifestyle. We're trying to build behaviors. We're trying to build a culture of continuous improvement. If we ask people, just, hey, make your life easier. Make it easier for you to do your job. What we end up doing is getting more improvement. Sometimes improvement that you initially thought was safety ends up being a cost savings. But then also a person's developing problem solving skills and developing their skills and identifying opportunities. So then it's just so much easier when there is a financial goal that needs to be made for people to engage in that. Ah, and, and this is, 
This is behavior number eight, and, and we probably didn't mention this, but these are in no order of importance. So we don't think behavior one is more important than behavior eight, although we did try to create a little bit of flow for here. But behavior eight, and, and, and the other thing I should mention is, you know, is Mark and I talk a lot about healthcare. What I think is so great about the last um, several years um, working on, on Kinexus is that what we're finding is that and it makes sense. I mean, these, these principles I learned about through manufacturing and the automotive industry, but these principles apply everywhere. But behavior eight is just so, so critical for healthcare. And it's look at the process instead of blaming the people. When you shift the focus from the error of who made the error and you shift it to why was the error made and you take the assumption that you know, an employee, a staff member, a frontline staff is actually an expert in what they do. They're not going around intentionally or because they're not trained properly um, and, and kind of messing things up, if you will. But if you say, you know, for example, if it was you, hey, Mark, let's talk about what happened and, and, and frame it in the context of process. You're all of a sudden going to get this huge engagement from the staff because they're relieved like, Oh, okay, cool. I'm not getting in trouble here. And when they realize that you're going to focus on the process and not an individual, they're going to be more apt to bring up more issues. You know, I, I love the, the quote, you know, no problems is a problem. It, it just means yeah. that simply people are sweeping things under the rug. Well, for one, I, I think it's good problem solving and effective problem solving to focus on the process. But I think like you were saying, if people bring up problems and then get blamed for it, they're right. going to stop bringing up problems. Right. I, I was at a hospital Yesterday, that will, of course, go unnamed, where a discussion from a man uh, about a problem involved the manager saying, well, so-and-so is a dingbat. <laughs> like, well, wait a minute, time out. No, why, why is it that that problem occurred? I mean, you know, I think this comes back to, you know, the, the old notion of, quote-unquote, bad apples and how different systems thinking and, and patient safety movements say, well, we, we, the problem is not bad apples. The right. problem is bad process, and, and that's really, really important. It, and, and it's an old habit to blame people. I try to be sympathetic and not blame people for blaming because it's a hard habit to break sometimes. And, it, and it's not to say that every single time an error or defect occurs, there's a process issue. But I think a good percentage is you often hear of the 85-15 rule. Or, or Dr. Deming quotes 95, 94, 95% of all errors are actually not a problem with the person, but a problem with the process. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're saying here for behavior eight is don't do your knee jerk. The knee jerk should be, okay, there's a problem with the process. Let's see if we can get to the root cause of it. Behavior nine, don't hide ideas, be transparent. And the reason, the reason why behavior nine is so critical is because it has to do with championing improvement work. And when people can see that improvement work is happening and, and things are transparent, they're not in some opaque box or in some locked committee room, but people can see that people are engaging. And then people can see that their ideas are actually getting implemented. One, it promotes improvement, begets improvement. Two, what's amazing is, is that if there's a problem in one part of your company, it's oftentimes a problem in another part of your company, or if it wasn't an obvious problem, maybe it was just a pure opportunity for improvement or idea, another part of a company that didn't even you think it would apply to all of a sudden says, wow, that's, that's great, Mark. We can use that over here, and you may have not even thought about it. So if you're transparent with your ideas you're in, in, in your improvement work, you're going to um, reap huge benefits from that. Behavior 10. Quickly respond to every idea. 
there is nothing worse than not responding to a new idea or new opportunity for improvement. What you are communicating back to your staff is a mixed communication message, right? You as a leader have said, hey, guys, we want to work on continuous improvement. And then the very first behavior that they're seeing you do is not responding to what they're doing. So you have to immediately respond. Does that mean within a minute or two? No. But within 24 to 48 hours, we find that organizations that have cultures of continuous improvement are making some kind of acknowledgement or response. It doesn't mean they have the problem solved, but it means there's some kind of acknowledgement to the person who submitted it. Hey, I heard you. We're going to work on it. Or go back to that person and go talk to them to get further clarification from that. Uh, I, I love this. What we what we find here with cultures that have um, organizations that have cultures of continuous improvement is that they go from complaining cultures into problem solving cultures, and you that's that's done by leadership creating that behavior. When a complaint is made, if a leader can somehow turn that complaint around from a negative into a positive, look at the root cause of why did the complaint exist you start creating a problem-solving culture and you start creating not just you know, the leader solving problems, but you start getting an entire team of people solving problems. I, I love the, um, and this is supported by excellent data. If you haven't read Alan Robbins' book, please do, um, Idea-Driven Organizations. And they've shown um, in, in a number of organizations shown that 80% of all opportunity, all potential improvement in an organization is gonna come from from your frontline staff. So shift their complaints into ideas. And, and that means also turning bad ideas into better ideas. You know, for example, the, um, you know, I, I'm remembered of the, of a, of a, of an idea that came through, um, at Kinexus where a, um, employee said, Oh, we need to put a door right here. If we had a door here, we'd be able to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And it honestly, it, it, it really was a bad idea for a number of reasons that the employee wouldn't have known. But what the leader did is instead of just voting it down, they wouldn't talk to the employee and said, well, why did you put that in? What was the underlying reason behind it? And, and actually, in, in just a couple minutes of brainstorming together, they were able to turn, quote, a bad idea mm -hmm. into a brilliant idea that they were able to implement. Classically, a suggestion box system would have just rejected that right. idea. Right. And that's end of story, end of any possible improvement. And behavior 13 leads perfectly with this. It's work to find something to implement. So you hear about these organizations, oh, we implement 95% of, of our ideas or, or opportunities for improvement. Right now with Kinexus customers, 80% of all opportunities for improvement are leading to a change. How is that possible? And it, it's possible because the, putting the OI or the opportunity for improvement into the system, that's just the beginning, okay? It's, it's the leadership role to work to find something to implement. You know, maybe maybe you can't put a door right here, you know, but maybe you could put better signage or maybe you could move a supply that they were actually looking for in a, in a more optimized area. So if you work to find something to implement, you start getting that dynamic. You start getting a you know, disgruntled, if you will, person getting into an engaged problem-solving person. Yeah, and here I'm gonna just uh, time out for a second, this is kind of, I guess, the lean principle of stopping the line or, or pulling the end on cord. Um, we are getting a couple of scattered reports from folks who say the sound is cutting in and out a little bit. And we're getting some people responded to the chat question that said that the sound is fine. So 
Um, I don't know exactly what short-term countermeasure um, we have. We may have an opportunity for improvement. Um, if sound is cutting out, uh, we'll, we'll have to figure out why. Hopefully the recording is coming out okay. But um, if anyone else is having problem with the sound, please uh, submit a question or a chat about that. Um, we've, we've got a good microphone, not to get too sidetracked, right, but right. <laughs> trying to do some quick problem solving with Greg. We're both kind of shaking our heads. So um, I guess we're going to just, um, we'll, we'll, we'll go on, but I'll, I'll keep thinking about that while you're presenting, Greg. Absolutely. Behavior 14, help share and spread ideas. We touched a little bit on this, but making sure that your suggestion system or your improvement and continuous improvement work is transparent. But behavior 14 is talking about actually going a step further here. It's not saying just be transparent, but it's saying actually to push and to spread ideas across. So when you do have a win in a, in a work group or a department, let other people know about it in the organization. Let them see what you're doing. And by, by making sure the system that you're implementing has broadcasting notifications outward bound, you're going to help promote more continuous improvement, which is essentially how you develop a culture of continue. Yeah. Uh, not yeah. to sidetrack too much, we always, we, always, uh, we always hear people saying, oh, well, um, you know, we can't do this because we don't have a culture of continuous improvement yet. Right. Yeah, so how else do you get a culture of continuous improvement without doing some continuous improvement? Right, right, yeah. exactly. It's like, can you get that on the shelf at Walmart? Are you selling continuous improvement around here? No, you, you obviously have to do it um, in, order to, in order to develop that culture. Behavior 15, help create time for people to take action. And, and I'm reminded of this by, by, the, the, by the fact when I initially started doing continuous improvement event, I mentioned I was doing it in an emergency department. I was doing it as part of a, an academic program. So we're training residents. And right. residents were putting in opportunities for improvement. And, and then right back at them, they were being asked to, to work on it. And they're like, you know, there's a residency, you know, 80-hour work week for a reason. Residents are overworked. And so we were reminded that if you're asking people to work on opportunities for improvement, you need to give them some dedicated time to do that so they don't feel more stressed out by that workload. Yeah, and where, where I live down in San Antonio, we have a Toyota truck plant, and I sometimes volunteer and take groups of healthcare students, nurses, medical students, healthcare administration students. And on one of the tours, because they talk a lot about Kaizen, in the visitor center and during the tour. And one of the attendees asked, well, people seemed really busy building trucks. How do you, when, when do you do Kaizen? And, and they said, well, there, there's some case, well, you know, if, if the line is down for some reason, we do improvement. You know, they don't send people home early, like a lot of organizations would. Or the, the guide who's an hourly worker said, well, we'll often, well, if there's a good idea, the manager will approve overtime. Because that idea that they're gonna implement is of the benefit of the company, it's worth spending a little, but you know, I think either way, they're making time for people to focus on Kaizen. It's right. not just talk. Behavior 16, be prepared to fail. I, I'm always reminded by the, um, by the, the quote, um, you know, the enemy of good is better. Recognize that sometimes you, you need to go ahead and, and try something out, recognizing it may not work, which is, ties into one of the prior behaviors of implementing small, low-cost, low-risk things. But being prepared to fail and recognizing that you're not going to do one improvement and then stop, that this is going to be one step in a matter of thousands of tens to thousands, and recognizing that 
And, you know, I, I never like to fail, but if we fail, if we learn something from it and we, if we move on and if we recognize not every single improvement is going to be a hundred percent winner, we recognize, um, you know, a way of keeping that momentum going when you do take a stumbling. Yeah. And I think a related point, sometimes people stumble, they're trying to start off creating, they're working toward that culture of continuous improvement. And sometimes people are very, very cautious. They don't want to start until they think they have it all figured out. So they plan and they plan and they plan and they read and they meet and they, they plan and talk about it some more. And at some point you just, you have to get started. And what I coach managers on is obviously do some planning, you know, in, in the spirit of plan, do study, adjust, do some planning. But if there are quote unquote failures, like if, if, if a manager is giving employees ideas instead of listening to, to say, wait, wait a minute, okay, and, and, and be open and kind of own that mistake and, and tell the employee, look, you know, I'm not perfect. I made a mistake. I'm going to get better. That sets a really good example in a lot of ways for the organization. Get better at getting better. Right. Right. Behavior 17. This is going to be the last behavior that I'm going to lead. And, and you know, I started with um, small ideas and I started with that behavior mark. Cause I think that that's a, a, one of the core behaviors that we need to focus on. And I'm going to end with probably another one of the most core behaviors that a leader needs to do, which is to keep asking for improvement. And, and that doesn't mean you know, every week spend four hours with a lecture or meetings doing it. But what it does mean is every time you send an email out, just a, a quick reminder about, about your and continuous improvement efforts. Every time you have a meeting or any type of huddle or recurrent, you know, block out five or 10 minutes to, to talk about the new opportunities for improvement or to get people's feedback on, on one that, you know, maybe the implementers need some feedback from folks. And by continually bringing it up and continuing to ask, eventually what you're going to see is, you know, the, the late adopters of your group are going to realize, oh, wait, no, this isn't just the, the new fad. We're not going to do this for the month of January and then quit. They're going to realize that this is part of the new behavior of the organization. And that's how you're really going to create that culture. So you've got to keep I, I, my image is beating the drum. The, the, the leader is the, the drum beater and just keep beating the drum so people can hear that beat in the background. Yeah. If, if, if it's a good habit, you need to keep doing it, whether it's continuous improvement or exercise or any other new habit. Like Greg said earlier, this is uh, this is sort of a lifestyle change. It's not something you can buy. It's not a surgery or a pill. Um, but one, one quick uh, interjection again. So I, I got a lot of feedback from people saying the sound was fine okay, great. for them. So I think maybe there wasn't a problem. You know, it's kind of good problem solving skill there. And I apologize if the sound is cutting out for anybody. Um, the, the root cause might be something out of our control, but um, sometimes you have to confirm, is there really a problem? A problem. <laughs> and so thank you for the feedback. Again, I apologize for um, the one or two of you that did have um, cut out. In fact, we do have an OI. There, there was a minute there with a second or two with some feedback. And without getting into that, there, there's a kind of a process problem on our side that we, uh, we will address from our side. So we have our own opportunity for improvement that comes out of a uh, a webinar on improvement. So we, we, we try to practice what we preach. Greg is smiling, not, not <laughs> scowling about this. Um, right, so we've got, you know, seven more behaviors um, to talk about. And, and please do uh, submit questions if you have them along the way. You know, behavior 18, you know, we talk about empowering employees, but be a servant leader. You know, something I, I think John Shook articulates really well, who was the first American really to work at Toyota. He's at the Lean Enterprise Institute now. You know, John says that this is, all about top-down and bottom-up communication and, and improvement style. So leaders certainly don't take on all the improvement themselves. That's the old 
approach, but we don't just dump everything on the staff and say, right. hey, you're empowered, go do it. It's, it's collaborative, as Greg was talking about. Um, you're, you're collaborating, you're coaching, you're communicating, and sometimes you may need to step in and help and play that role of servant leader. If someone identifies a problem that involves interaction with another department, the leader might need to be the one who goes and helps follow up on that. So I, finding balance is key. I think a, a, a real easy way to do this from an actionable standpoint is, is as a leader, when you're reaching out to find out why something's overdue, instead of saying, oh, why is this overdue, Mark? You know, reaching out saying, hey, do you, or do you have a barrier? Is there, is there something I can help you with that explains? And it, it just frames a nice question um, that I think really talks about behavior 18 really well. Yeah, thanks. Uh, behavior 19 is this idea, again, on collaboration, you know, to coach but don't nitpick. So I think good improvement leaders will, will ask questions as you're trying to work from a bad idea to a better idea or you're trying to find something to implement. You need to ask questions, but don't just criticize. Like if, so if an employee of yours has an idea and in your brain you hear, hmm, that's not what I would do. You, you sometimes need to bite your tongue and say, well, if, if the employee is suggesting something that's unsafe or violates regulations, well, okay, you need to educate them. But if it's just different than what you would have done, sometimes you need to let them try it. Sometimes you're wrong as the manager and they, they will actually have something that works. But as leaders, instead of being more correct all the time, I think leader improvement leaders help people see the bigger picture. So if somebody suggests a sub-optimizing idea, the leader can help them understand that. So mm -hmm. I think one example I've seen is, you know, a, a problem around patients being delayed on admission from the emergency department. Sometimes uh, inpatient units, and I've literally seen this suggested of, well, you know, there, there are times a day when we're, we're really busy. So our idea is for the emergency department to not admit patients during those hours. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a manager needs to step back and say, well, wait a minute, that, that might help you, but it's not good for the patients. It's not good for the emergency department and the other patients there. You need to kind of work through, like Greg was saying, find the underlying problem and then work together to find something that's not sub-optimizing. So when we talk about PDSA, plan, do, study, adjust, I, I think there's a couple points about this. One, I alluded to it earlier, don't overdo the plan. Mm -hmm. Don't get stuck in a plan, 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 plan cycle. Um, we want to do the right amount of planning and then uh, eventually get into do and study and adjust. So if somebody suggests something expensive and risky, like putting in a door, we probably want to do a lot of planning and discussion and brainstorming alternatives before we jump into do. If someone says, um, let's move the microphone over a foot on our desk here, Greg. You know, that, that's something that's easily undone and easily testable. So we might have a little bit of do or a little bit of plan and then jump kind of right into do. You know, at the same time, we need to make sure we don't forget the study and the adjust. We don't just plan, do, and say we're done. We plan, do, and stick our head in the sand or plan, do, uh, rationalize, whatever we did. Like, you know, sometimes people are really afraid and, and this can be cultural in the organization, they're afraid to admit a quote unquote failure. Mm -hmm. Where I think in this, in this Kaizen or continuous improvement approach, we don't call that a failure. We said, well, well we tried something, we, we learned from it, we're gonna go back and try something new. That's a, a key, not just a mindset, but a behavior. Behavior 23, you know, I think is about being careful with re rewards and quotas. I could probably do an hour long webinar on this, uh, but. I'll be brief. You know, I think a lot of times organizations say, well, you know, we need to pay people. We need to give them incentives. Mm -hmm. And that can work. But as, as Dan Pink 
talks about in his great book, Drive, you know, incentives work, but they have side effects. People can get really kind of addicted to the rewards and incentives. Or if we set a quota and say, everyone must do one Kaizen, then everyone does one and it's really you know, uh, trivial or they do it just to hit the quota and they're not building habits and not doing it for the right reason. So I've seen organizations that get lots and lots of improvement work and lots of participation without setting targets and without offering rewards. They do recognition. When you talk about rewards and recognition, that's behavior 24. Give recognition. Real quick before yeah. behavior 24, let me just, if you haven't read Daniel Pink's book, Drive, I would definitely recommend it. I was really not convinced about behavior 23 mm -hmm. until I started reading the studies, the psychology studies that um, really showed this can be. And then I'm, I'm always, you, you sometimes talk about this example where, where someone told you that, oh, well, I didn't submit my ID in May because they do one best idea every there month was a and there was a, right yeah. and there was already a great idea in in the may you know um um month and so the person was like holding on to their idea and it was a great <laughs> example of how you know sometimes the the reward systems or a thought process can have some unintended consequences yeah and and there, and, there are other approaches and i right. think you know dr deming would say substitute leadership time and involvement and collaboration, asking for ideas, and then recognizing people for ideas. Thank yous really go a long way. Or a small token. Small tokens. Um, that's really, that's what my co-author's organization does, is really small tokens of a couple dollars to the cafeteria or some points that they can put toward merchandise with the hospital logo. If, if we get people oriented around the right goals, and, and some of those goals include make your own work less frustrating, people will very naturally um, participate through their intrinsic motivation. And we want to be careful that extrinsic rewards don't tamp down that intrinsic motivation. And, and the last behavior, number 25, is this notion of you know, compiling results and celebrating. So we talk to people about their ideas. We need to improve these dimensions or pillars of organizational performance. We want to celebrate those results. And, and whether that's Congratulations, we've had 50% of people in the organization implement an improvement this year. Or, you know, here's what we think the added, the accumulated uh, financial benefit is. Or here's how many improvements we've implemented this year related to patient safety or employee safety. It's really meaningful to kind of close the loop and kind of celebrate, and that inspires more improvement. You know, that, that letting people feel good, not just about the participation, but also about the results makes a really, really big difference. So just kind of wrap things up and, and I see some questions are coming in and we'll do more questions here. I think to build this culture of continuous improvement, it, it takes some time. It takes effort. You know, I think leaders need to define what that culture is, including defining the behaviors and, and the mindsets and how to participate. Um, leaders model those behaviors and set a good example. And then they go out, they get out of their office and go and observe and either you know, catch people doing the right things as leaders and recognizing and thanking them for that or coaching and giving feedback. If, if you go out as a senior leader to a team huddle and the supervisor is dominating the discussion mm. and not letting people bring their ideas forward, you, you might, again, you know, not to certainly not embarrass anyone, but pull them aside and coach them and say, well, what I saw was you giving answers to your team. And I'd really suggest, you know, do more to draw out their ideas. And, and that's one thing leaders can do as coach. And then again, you know, really go and celebrate 
um, people's success. That that reinforces this and reinforces the positives, and and really leads to to more activity and more improvement and more results. So as as a final thought here, I mean I think improvement and this culture of continuous improvement it, it doesn't just happen because we read a book or attended a webinar. It it takes time. We we need to lead, and we need to lead different or lead differently. That's that's the opportunity for improvement. I've heard uh, the grammar geeks is like, no, it's lead differently. So either way, get out there, lead, lead um, differently. So as we go into Q&A, a couple of things to point out. One is that, yes, everyone will receive a link tomorrow uh, via email to the slides and to the recording. If you go to uh, kinexus.com, and we'll also share a link to our webinar library. So you can go to kinexus.com slash webinar there's a big icon there that says, here's our webinar library. We invite you to go and uh, participate, um, listen to the old ones and participate in future webinars. And on that point, our next webinar is going to be actually hosted by our partners and friends at Gemba Academy. Uh, it's going to be on, on July 9th. Uh, Greg and I will be presenting, and the theme here kind of digs into a couple of the behaviors uh, more deeply. Um, the, the title says, yeah, congratulations, you have lots of employee ideas, mm -hmm. now what? Because a lot of times you know, when, when leaders do start asking for ideas, boy, they get a flood of them. Mm -hmm. There's that pent-up participation. And now say, well, ah, wow. Oh, uh, I wanted to fix this. <laughs> this really bothered me. Um, so so what, do we, what do we do? So um, I don't know if you have anything else to add about that while I pull up questions here. No, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And I'll just, I'll mention if you, if you haven't checked out um, Gamma Academy, you know, go check them out. We have also a partners page where we talk about other other organizations and companies that, that we think are doing important work in, in the kind of continuous improvement process improvement space and Gamma Academy is certainly one. Yeah. So, Okay, so we've got some comments and, and questions. We've got about 10 minutes uh, for this here. One of them is actually more of uh, an opportunity for improvement. So I, I appreciate that. We, we uh, To get ideas and suggestions from our attendees is certainly something we will build off of. So one attendee said, um, FYI, I like to get the slides ahead of time so I can make my notes right on them instead mm. of separate paper. So that's that's great feedback. And I, I think that's Greg's nodding his head. I think that's something we can incorporate sure. into future webinars. When that uh, automated reminder goes out a couple hours in advance, mm. we can include a link just in time um, to the slides. So um, thank you for that. Or maybe even the day before when that reminder goes out. So thank you for that. Um, here's a question that says, uh, if you're going to coach a manager who's traditionally authoritarian, to become the type of manager that supports these principles, what's the first thing you would do? So that that I, I think that, that's I mean the very first thing I think I think one of the first things that if if this leader were let's say if I were a senior leader in an organization and this leader reported to me, I, I think I would have you know a private discussion, sure, and talk about the importance of continuous improvement and not to tell them you need to do this because they will find a hundred reasons and ways not to go along with this approach. It, um, I, I think laying out why improvement is important as a senior leader demonstrate, here's an improvement I've done, challenge them, encourage them to come up with an improvement to their own work and, and maybe kind of draw out through asking questions and having some sort of discussion and try to see if you can pique their interest in this in some way to at least get them to try. Yeah, yeah. I have a, a slightly different take, not um, 
just different. When I heard one, one, it's a great question, but when I heard the question, I think of, um, I think of figuring out why, why does that leader lead the way they lead? Why do they lead in that authoritative way? And, and I think that they lead that way oftentimes potentially because they're insecure. They don't want for people, you know, above them to think that they're not on top of their game and that, right. you know, that this, that this is the way they expect, um, you know, their leaders want them to be leading. So I think, you know, yeah. starting off the, the, the dialogue, which I, I do agree, you know, doing that in a private setting is going to be a lot more um, beneficial than in a public setting by, by simply, you know, getting at some root issues of, is there, you know, some sort of job insecurity or, um, some kind of sometimes issues. personal insecurity, right? Or I've personally insecurity. Le- leaders and, kind of right. overcompensate by being authori- authoritarian. Right. That, that's hard to address. It, it, uh, that was my <laughs> I, very hard to address, but that was kind of my initial thoughts of kind of figuring out what's the motivation. You know, did they are they emulating you know leadership behavior that they saw in the past and that they are you know thinking or expected to lead in this type of way? And then and then once that's addressed, um, you know talking to them about really, you know, the metrics or the the objective ways in which their leadership is going to be judged will actually benefit them significantly by a more collaborative and non-authoritative way that might make them feel really comfortable with recognizing that, you know, being non-authoritative is sometimes being a better leader than being authoritative. Right. Um, there's a, there's a lot of good questions here. Here's, um, I'm going to have to just uh, it, it, pick one. So um, here's a question. How have companies measured and monitored these behaviors you discussed? Um, I, I think the measurement of this would be darn near impossible. I mean, it's got probably even harder than, let's say, a hospital measuring accurately uh, hand hygiene compliance because it's happening all the time. It's happening all over the place. Leaders don't always have a coach shadowing them, looking for the right behaviors or opportunities for improvement. Um, but I, th- I think I-, I would use the word coaching rather than monitoring. I think for leaders, senior, more senior leaders uh, to, again, I think get out of their offices, yes. to come observe team huddles, um, to just to, to kind of pop in or maybe go and do some rounding with a manager and say, because I, mean, I do this sometimes as an outsider, I'm going to shadow you and um, observe and coach and give you feedback on how you're coaching and giving feedback to your employees. Um, I, I think those types of uh, behaviors are, are more effective, um, I think, than trying to measure it. I think you can measure the results. That's how many ideas are they getting? And, and so, uh, Greg, that was like, I was going to talk exactly where you were leading that. Okay. I think to me, I I would really focus on thinking you know, where in my organization is the best improvement work happening and then figuring out, well, you know, what is this person doing? And I think what you're going to find is that they're going to be doing a lot of these 25 behaviors. Right. And, and I think you might also find in talking to them and figuring out, well, what ask them how they get such great participation and engagement because there's probably 25 more. You know, these yeah. are just 25 that we've observed in organizations that have cultures of continuous improvement. So I think it's probably less to monitor whether those behaviors are happening, but I would focus more on, well, what's kind of the end result? What are the, what are the improvement metrics 
and the right. engagement and, and how are those results Cause, happening? Cause, well, and I know, we, you know we've got you know, a, a bunch of really you know, smart audience here. One of our attendees in the question box said, measure the number of improvements. Right. So yeah. um, hi to our, our friend in Austin. He, he knows who, who he is who posted that. But um, yeah, I think measuring the number of improvements is kind of an intermediate measure. Yep. But then ultimately it all comes back to then what's the effect you're having on the, the things that are important to the organization. We don't do continuous improvement for the sake of continuous improvement. I think developing people uh, is important for the long-term good of the organization. It's a noble goal, but we also have measures and goals and, and things that we're trying to, to move the needle on. Quality, safety, those those things are, are certainly worth measuring as well. Yeah, it's definitely a in, an interim measure because ultimately whatever strategies and whatever kind of the core metrics that your organization is running, whether those are kind of financial metrics or whether they're customer service metrics, if you're doing good and continuous improvement work, it should be affecting those metrics. Right, exactly. You know? and, and it's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna be, well, oh, we did one improvement on Monday, it's gonna affect the metric on Tuesday. Right. But if you're doing good improvement work, you know, in a quarter over quarter, year over year, um, you're gonna find that the, that the boat is heading in the right direction. Right, and I know, you know Joe Schwartz's organization in Indianapolis is putting less focus on trying to add up the financial benefit from their Kaizens. They're still counting the Kaizens and they do like 4,000 a year, but they're realizing, well, this is flowing through to our bottom line. Mm. That's really, you know, uh, one of the many things that matters uh, across those other dimensions. So um, we're, we're just about out of, out of time. There's one quick question. So what was the book title that we mentioned? Uh, the book is called Drive, it's like driving mm -hmm. a car, drive, because it's more about our motivation, drive. Uh, Daniel Pink, like the color, is uh, the author. He's a really, really good guy. Great book. And I mentioned one other book earlier on, so they may be talking about that one. Alan Robinson's um, book, Idea Driven Organizations. Yeah, that the one and, and that's a brand new recent book, and it's uh, it's excellent. They have an older book called Ideas Are Free, mm -hmm. uh, which is great. And as one of our attendees points out, there's a great video about the book Drive on YouTube. Oh, yes. Animated video. So go to YouTube, search for Dan Pink Drive, um, you'll see um, that, that really cool video there. So we are we are just about out of time. There, there's a couple more questions. We'll, we'll follow up with people individually mm -hmm. where we can. Um, we certainly invite you, you know, please, if, if you'd like to have a dialogue or if you have feedback or ideas or things that you would challenge, uh, we want to hear your feedback. So you can uh, reach out to us. Our email addresses are on the title slide. You can reply to the email. Um, that, that you say, get tomorrow. Yeah, I was gonna say, let us know. You know, Mark and I try to do this more conversational, um, and um, let us know if, if you like that style or if it, you know, was too distracting. Yeah, this, this, well. we're sitting side by side, so it's easier to collaborate. That's an opportunity for improvement instead of me being in San Antonio mm -hmm. and, and Greg being here. So we hope you enjoyed the webinar. Thank you for taking time out of your day to attend. Um, again, an email will come out to you tomorrow with a link to the recording and to the slides. And we hope you'll join us on uh, July 9th for uh, Gemba Academy. And again, here, here's our contact information. My opportunity for improvement. The problem is that I forgot to advance the slide here to the end. So you can see the Kinexus website. Please follow us on social media. You can see my books that I co-authored here uh, with Joe Schwartz that have uh, a lot of stories and examples and, and things that we hope are helpful. Um, so again, on, on behalf of uh, Greg Jacobson, this has been Mark Raven for Kinexus. Thanks for joining us.